And we're back with Warren Kinsella, lawyer, author, uh, journalist, has a post-media column coming out, an important one uh, over the weekend, which he'll uh, tell us about in just a few moments. But Warren, there's, there's no way that we can do anything today without uh, talking about Alexei Navalny. Uh, people can say that he wasn't really, really murdered by, by Putin. What's uh, Warren Kinsella's take on why Alexei Navalny is dead? Well, he was murdered. And they've been wanting to murder him for some time, and they have. And this is one of those stories for me as a person that it's like climate change, extreme climate change. Um, even though I'm privileged to, you know, to have a newspaper column and guys like you ask me for my opinion and so on. You know, when I see a story about the environment being destroyed, you feel powerless. You know, what can I as a person do about it? And this story, I had a reaction like that. It's like I was going to tweet something thoughtful. And I'm like, what does it matter? Like, it just, we have the monster in charge of this superpower. Um, and he kills opponents. He kills his own citizens in this illegal war against Ukraine. Um, he's racist. He's homophobic. He's a monster. And he's still there. You know, I'm sure <clears throat> I'm not the only person, Charles, who's wished for his immediate demise many times. And um, he's still there. So, you know, as a person, it makes you feel powerless. Um, you know, what can you change? What can you affect? And my recommendation to people, particularly Americans, uh, any Americans listening to us, um, is there, is there are things you can do. The, you know, the agent, the unregistered foreign agent for Russia in the United States of America and in the West is Donald Trump. And Trump, I think it's become evident after his comments a few days ago, inviting Russia to attack NATO allies like Canada. Um, that, that that's, you know, I mean, if he'd said that during World War II, he'd be in prison. He'd be in a camp, um, you know, where we put other pro-Nazis uh, before the war. I, I think... This is where Democrats need to go. If you're upset about Navalny and Putin and the monstrous stuff that's come out of Russia, strike back at their principal agent in the West, and that's Donald Trump. So I'll get back to Trump in just a second, but you're talking about tweeting uh, Navalny. So here's what I <laughs> tweeted, and you can uh, respond any way you want to. Uh, my, my tweet uh, just moments ago, message to my Canadian conservative friends, if you insist on resisting aid to Ukraine in the name of fighting carbon taxes, you're disgracing yourselves as Canadians and joining Putin's expanding core of useful idiots. In the name of Navalny, become useful to Canadian democracy. Your take, Warren. Well, you're nicer than I've been. <laughs> I've written columns about it and I've issued tweets um, being a lot meaner with the conservatives. Like, you know, they're claiming that the reason is carbon tax, and that's bullshit. Um, you know, Vladimir Zelensky came here just a few weeks ago to ask for this trade agreement. Uh, Ukraine has a carbon tax or something like a carbon tax. That's what they want, right? Pierre Polyev, you don't run Ukraine. Right. Uh, you, when you become prime minister, if you become prime minister, you don't get to dictate to it. Like, is he going to say 
to the United States of America if it has a, something like a carbon tax? Well, we're not going to sign any treaties with you because of that. Like, it's bullshit. I think what's going on is much more sinister and worrying. And Angus Reid had a poll on this just a few days ago, which I'm going to be writing about for Post Media this weekend, which is conservatives are drifting away from uh, Ukraine and support for Ukraine in its just and proper war against Putin. And that is very worrying for the West and democracy. Because I think we all know, like Ukraine, I encourage everybody all the time, go take a look at a map to see where Ukraine is. I think some of you guys think it's in the distant reaches of Mother Russia. Ukraine is in the heart of Europe, modern Europe. And where goes Ukraine could go Finland and so on. And so I think, um, uh, you know, we need to really put Polyev's feet to the fire and say, where do you guys stand on Ukraine? Because they are an ally and they need our support. They're being attacked by this monster. And your equivocation and vacillation on Ukraine um, looks really bad on you guys. And it's very bad for the civilized world. How would uh, the Canadian people have felt if a conservative party in the 40s had said Holland is too far? The Netherlands is just a far-off land. We're not supporting the fight there. How would how would uh, conservatives in those days and other Canadians in those days felt if conservatives have, had abandoned one of the primary battlefields in the war against fascism? Well, they wouldn't have allowed it because the, the leader of the free world at that point was Winston Churchill, who was a conservative, became a conservative, he became a prime minister in Britain, and he said, not here. This is the line. You will go no farther, Mr. Hitler. And he led the free world, a conservative, in the struggle against fascism, and he prevailed. And, you know, it's sad at the moment because the conservatives that I knew, that I grew up with in Alberta, and I was surrounded by conservatives, right? Because if you're a liberal in, in Alberta, you got to make friends with conservatives because you'll have no friends. <laughs> you're, you're, you're a sheep in the wolf pack. Yeah, they're everywhere. Yeah. And yeah. everybody knew Russia, uh, maybe not in the Yeltsin era, certainly not in the Gorbachev era, but was a threat to the West in myriad, myriad and manifold ways. And like it was easy. Now, sometimes they got exaggerated and the Reagan era and and uh, the Nixon era got too far but conservatives knew where they stand on on Russia now you got this this little pipsqueak Tucker Carlson a white supremacist with a Twitter account going and licking the feet of Vladimir Putin you know you've got the House of Representatives GOP refusing to do because Biden's giving to them whatever they want, basically. And they're refusing because they don't want to give a nickel to Ukraine. And then now we have here in Canada, the leader of the Conservative Party, which every single poll tells us is going to be the next prime minister, being cute on Ukraine. And like Charles, like I'm not going to appear, appeal to his better angels. I'll just say to him this, that place in Alberta where I grew up, all of those kids around me who were conservatives, they were also Ukrainian, right? Because one of the largest 
Ukrainian diasporas in the world is in Canada and in Western Canada, as you know, where you are right now, you're surrounded by Ukrainians too. Yeah, it's, it'd be pointless for me to use that old line about some of my best friends are Ukrainian when I live in Manitoba. Most of my best friends are Ukrainian. This is the easiest issue on the planet as a conservative. And yes, they're conservative. And I, for the most of my adult life, has been, have been conservative. And one of the reasons I've been a conservative for most of my adult life is because I'm a child of the Cold War. I was born in communist Hungary. I'm a refugee from there. Russian tanks, Putin's tanks were in the streets killing my neighbors. For me to be pro-Ukraine is as dropped at easy as it gets. And for me to be anti-today's Canadian conservatives for being useful idiots to the people who sent the tanks in, that too is easy. I don't know if I can be any blunter. Yeah, and, you know, and it's not just Polyev. You look in Alberta, Daniel Smith, who regrettably is the premier, her initial response to the war when asked about it was to say, well, Putin is justified and, and Ukraine has nuclear weapons, which it doesn't. It decommissioned those decades ago. Um, you know, so he's justified in doing it. Anyway, there was a backlash in Alberta and she had to do a, a, an about face that would give you whiplash. But there's something going on with conservatives and the most extreme manifestation of it are people like the GOP or Daniel Smith. And then this kinder, gentler face of an anti-Ukraine thought, if I can call it that, is seen in the behavior of Pere Polyev. And he is, I, I swear to God, he is risking his constituency because of the Ukrainian population in places like Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, and to some extent British Columbia, sense that he's going sideways on Ukraine. God help him. God help him. So let me uh, get back to the United States for a moment and, uh, and, and Democrats. Uh, my feeling uh, when I lived in the United States for several years was that Democrats were becoming worse and worse and worse at speaking to the so-called heartland. That's the land in the middle of the United States, the land does not, that, that does not include the east or west coast. So the, the non-Californias, the non-New Yorks, okay, uh, the middle, you know, Kansas, N N Nebraska, up to Illinois, Wyoming, Wisconsin. The point is that the, one of the reasons they became totally disconnected from the heartland is because Democrats became anti-military. And the military and the fight against the Putins of the world is a very big deal in that part of the country. Is that still a problem for the Democrats right now? Or is Biden putting the Zamboni over the ice and cleaning that up? Um, well, I mean, if you look at every single speech he gives, you know, like Kretzian, we always, when I, as a speechwriter, I always knew how to end his speeches. I wasn't sure about how to start them, but I always ended it the same way. <laughs> <laughs> which is Vive la Canada, right? Yeah, of course. But the last line in every single Biden speech is, you know, God save our troops, God protect our troops. And, you know, again, this is um, that guy's special counsel, and this guy took all kinds of shots at Biden about his age and his memory and all the rest of it, saying disgusting things like he doesn't even remember when his son died. Like, who can say that to a father? So... um the report, I was very upset about the report. Lots of Democrats were uh, worked for Biden, full disclosure. <clears throat> two days later, two days later, Trump makes his comments about Ukraine and NATO. And basically what he said was, just to refresh everybody's memory in the unlikely event they didn't see it, 
He said, if you are not paying your NATO dues, he invites Russia to attack you. Well, that's that that includes Canada, right? Because even in the Stephen Harper years, we didn't meet our two percent NATO commitment, right? In the Brian Mulroney years, just everyone's clear: uh, spending two percent of gross domestic product uh, that that's what is expected, and that's I guess what Trump refers to as uh, as paying your dues. Yeah, and every U.S. president has urged us to do that, including Obama. Yeah. But in Trump's case, what he said two days after the special counsel report was. Go and attack Canada. Go and attack, you know, every, basically most of the members of NATO are um, not meeting their 2%. And, and the irony is I actually agree that we need to do that. We need to do that in an increasingly dangerous world in the Middle East, in Ukraine, and so on. We need to be doing that and, and out of respect for our men and women in uniform. But for Trump to say what he said, like, Charles, it changed the channel on the Biden age thing. I think the Democrats, to get back, I apologize, long answer to a very uh, succinct question. The United States of America has a military culture, right? That's one of the key differences between us and them. They love their military. They revere their military. You and I have both been in places. You'll be in a parking lot in a McDonald's in Missouri or in New York State, and somebody will walk up to somebody who's in uniform and say, thank you for your service. Right. It's like it's part of the culture. Trump and the Republicans are making a huge mistake by turning their back on the military and the notion of defending America and defending democracy. And I think the Democrats need to lean into it in every corner of the United States, not just in the coastal states, in the in the interior, in the Midwest, too. It should be said uh, that one of the reasons Americans revere their Military isn't, uh, you know, because of, of, of Hollywood movies and uh, the blood that they have uh, shed over the years in, in saving democracy. We can talk about Winston Churchill until the cows come home. Winston Churchill practically had to beg America. You know, there are two, two yeah. great speeches. You may not uh, like what I have to say here, but to me, the two greatest political speeches of my time uh, were Winston Churchill in uh, Washington uh, asking uh, America to please help uh, to save Europe uh, from fascism. And the other great speech in my mind was uh, at the Reagan funeral where Brian Mulroney delivered uh, the eulogy. Churchill and Mulroney, two of the best speeches I've ever heard. Here's the deal. The average American totally understands that America is a target, not just in the United States, but all over the world. And the projection of U.S. military power is what spares America from destruction. That is a core American belief. Like all core beliefs, whether they're religious or political, you can trifle with them, you can argue with them. You're a loser if you do, because there is no doubt in the mind of the average American, that's the way it is. America's got a bullseye on its back, and so it needs a strong military. For for Trump to mock uh, the military and for Trump to say, Putin, if you don't pay your dues, Putin can do whatever the hell he wants. That is a huge risk. And it's not just a huge risk because, you know, many average people don't like to hear that. Independents don't like to hear that. Democrats don't like to hear that. I'm here to tell you the average core Republican resents and rejects that to a T. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, just a little war story. This one made me amuse you. You know, what is the soul of America? One time I interviewed Gene Simmons, you know, from Kiss, the band. Yep. 
Yeah. And Gene, I've talked to a few times over the years, and he's a really smart guy. And I remember one time I met him, it was a hilarious interview, I'll send it to you. And because uh, he's so witty. And at that point, Carrie was way ahead of George um, Bush Jr. in the race to be president of the United States. Way ahead. It looked like it was in, in the bag that John Kerry was going to win for the Democrats. So I pointed that out to, um, <clears throat> to Gene, um, who'd always been a Democrat, and um, said, you know, what do you think? He said, no. He said, Bush is going to win. And I said, what? Really? You know, not a single poll says that. And he said, you got to understand America. He said, basically what you just said, right? And he said, we've had our faces rubbed in the dirt by a bunch of guys who live in caves. We don't want to have a conversation with those guys. We want to wipe them out. And if that means forming a partnership with somebody who, you know, has a room temperature IQ, that's what we're going to do. And that's what happened. Like it, the United States, like you say, you can push them, you can push them, you can push them. But if you push too hard, God help you. And the Houthis are <laughs> discovering that, right? right? The yeah. Houthis are discovering that yeah. big time. Yeah. And so, you know, I think that um, there's a rich political vein of reward there that can be mined by the Democrats. And um, I hope they do that because I think it's a great vulnerability of Trump. Some uh, people in the United States and some people in Canada probably don't understand that the average American uh, supports Israel, not because the average American supports Judaism or the Jewish state. The average American supports Israel because the average American at the very core understands that organizations like Hamas are not just anti-Jewish and anti-Israeli. They are vehemently anti-American. Hamas, which is supported wholesale by Iran, is vehemently anti-American. I get that some people don't understand that. I get that some people are massively uncomfortable. You're one of them. I'm one of them. I'm not an American. I'm not a. I'm a Canadian, as as are you. But all of us are uncomfortable by what's happening in Gaza. But I don't think any of us uh, who have those core beliefs I just described have any problem understanding that Hamas has got to be defeated. And allies of Hamas are, yes, in this country as well. And Warren Kinsella, I think this has been brought home to you and your family in the last few hours. Yeah, and it, um, my son yesterday at the university, I won't name, <clears throat> so he doesn't face any recrimination or attack, found swastikas on the wall. So he's letting the university know, and I'll report back to you on what they do, if anything. And... You know, I shouldn't have to say of anything, but, you know, there this week was an attack of a pro-Hamas mob. That's what they were, right, um, on Mount Sinai Hospital, on Hospital Row in Toronto. And um, they climbed the side of it. They were shouting intifada, which is essentially a call for a violent revolution uh, in front of a hospital where people go to get treated for cancer, to have babies. I my sons were born there, delivered by an IDF doctor who hummed along with John Camp songs, you know, as my son was being born. Um, it is a revered and holy place, like all hospitals are. It's where we go to be born and where we go to die. And for that mob to attack there with impunity, as they did, there'd been no arrests yet, not one. Um, 
there's really bad stuff going on in this country. And, um, and I say that as a Catholic, I'm not Jewish. Right. And, um, uh, I think we've got a big, big problem. I think a lot of it is generational. It's younger people, regrettably. And, uh, we need to get to work on it because, uh, the problem isn't going away. It's in fact getting worse. Warren, you are what uh, some Jewish people call a righteous Gentile. Well, I'm, I'm grateful for that. I've had, um, Jewish friends and strangers uh, say those things to me, and I've just said to them the same thing. I said, number one, I'm just following my heart. So when you follow your heart, it makes it easy. And number two, I'm just doing, I'm being the son that my parents brought up. That's uh, how my parents raised my brothers and I. Uh, I was born in near Stowe, you know where the Snowden Theater is in Montreal? Yeah, it's about five minutes from where I grew up. Yes, I know yeah. where it is. <laughs> and I was surrounded. Uh, my friends were Jewish, and it's now a very orthodox Jewish community in Montreal. And, it, you know, to me, this is not hard. What I find inexplicable, the thing I can't answer is why others aren't with me and helping me out. And yesterday at my, uh, my partner's shop, <clears throat> I was talking to a Jewish woman in this small community where I live. And she said to me, we're afraid, my partner and I, we're afraid to exhibit manifestations of our faith. We're afraid, you know, about how people are going to react to us, not just for expressing opinion, just for being a Jew. Yeah. And uh, that's something I never thought I'd see in this country, but we're seeing it. I never thought I'd see it either, but, you know, my grandmother used to remind me all the time, it's the Warren Consellas, it's the righteous Gentiles that uh, allow us to, to live. It's the righteous Gentiles who in, in Europe uh, helped to uh, to hide us, and many uh, many of those righteous Gentiles were were sacrificed for, uh, for, for hiding Jews. If it wasn't for righteous Gentile, I never would have been born. My, uh, my father wanted to show up because he was an obedient uh, young Hungarian Jew, and he was told to show up at the train station for deportation to Auschwitz. And his righteous Gentile friend had to literally put his hands on him. He had to mug my father, throw him in a truck, and drive him literally out of the country because my father wanted to be obedient to the local authorities who were being obedient to the Nazis. So if it hadn't been for that righteous Gentile, I'm not here. And there are many other righteous Gentile stories that I can tell you. And while I don't uh, I do not do religion, I'm not into organized religion. I'm uh, very proud of my my heritage, and I would invite uh, anyone who's proud of their heritage to stand up for their heritage, and the heritage I can't stop thinking about these days outside of the obvious elephant in the room with uh, the Middle East is um, the the people of Ukrainian heritage, and uh, they deserve better from Canada. They deserve better from Canadian uh, conservatives who, for the most part, they have supported all their lives, and I'm hoping that if there's one message that emerges from this particular podcast, it's to ask people who support the Conservative Party to please get their heads out of Vladimir Putin's anus and to do the right thing. Warren, I want to give you the last word. Well, the one thing I would say to people is, um, you know, so I, I follow Christ. I'm a Christian. I'm not a Jew. Um, but Christ, at all relevant times, was a Jew and a Jewish teacher, a rabbi. Um, and he never ceased being a Jew. And, you know, he gave lots of great advice, even if you're not religious. And that, that advice, um, 
principally is put yourself in the shoes of others. He didn't say that exactly, but that that's a lot of the message you see in the New Testament. Put yourself in the shoes of your Jewish neighbors, an elderly Jew, a young Jew, somebody with kids, when they see a swastika, you know, the symbol of the, the ideology of murder that wiped out six million Jews. Put yourself in the shoes of Jews who turn on their TV one night and there's an imam in Montreal in front of 20,000 people calling on God to exterminate the Jews. Imagine how they feel. Right. Imagine just being Heather Reisman, who's a privileged person and and uh, has been successful in life and her business. And she goes into work one morning at her bookstore, a bookstore. She doesn't she doesn't manufacture missiles and she's been accused of genocide and they've thrown red paint to resemble blood on the front of her store just because she's a Jew. Put yourself in the shoes of others. This is what I would encourage everybody. Put yourself in the shoes of others and consider how you would feel if you were being exposed to the hateful words and deeds that Jewish Canadians are experiencing right now. Because Jewish Canadians, they're only 1.4% of our entire population. They are a minority. And they deserve our Jewish brothers and sisters to deserve our support and our love and our neighborliness. And too often these days, they're not getting it. And I understand people are afraid, right? They're seeing the mobs in the streets. They're seeing the hateful words and they're afraid to speak up. And I've heard that a million times. And so have you, but it, that's when it's essential to do the opposite. That is the moment when you have to speak up and say, no. Like never again, those two words that you hear so much, it's like a cliche. Never again means right now. Never again means right now. Never again can we let Jews or Muslims or anybody or people of color targeted for something that they can't control, like their skin color or their faith that they've chosen to stay with. We can't let that happen. That's not who we are as a country. And, um, you know, I'm hopeful that in the, the months ahead, we'll return to sanity, but it's going to require all of us to lean hard against uh, that and to work together and all of us to be righteous Gentiles, as the case may be. For the love of Christ, you are good. Thank you. Thank you, my friend. That's Warren Kinsella, and I'm Charles Adler.